Hello folks, it's Cameron sitting here by myself in a co-working space in sunny Bundaberg. It's the 11th of April and uh, I'm posting an interview that Tony and I did a couple of weeks ago. Tony's currently watching the US Masters in Augusta, Georgia. Very busy, very important work that he's doing there. I'm on a quasi-vacation, trying to spend as much time on the beach with my family as possible. So it's a short show today. Uh, interview with Simon Shepard from the New Investing Newsletter Group. We, as I said, we recorded this a couple of weeks ago. Really great service that Simon has created, I think, that helps uh, all of us compare the performance of the investment newsletters in the Australian marketplace. So let's jump into it, have a chat with Simon Shepard, and we'll be back for a normal show uh, next week with a bit of luck. Ciao. Have a great week. Market's up today. Looking good. Welcome to QAV. I don't know what episode this is because honestly, I don't know when we're going to put this out, but we're recording it for the record on the 13th of March, 2023. TK and I have a, a special guest with us today, Simon Shepard from the Investment Newsletter Group, aka Ting. Which is a, I like that. It's a pretty cool acronym. Is it an acronym? That's an acronym, I think. Ting. Welcome to QAV, Simon. Thanks, Cameron. Good to be here. According to Ting's website or tinglive.com.au, if the people at home want to check it out while we talk about it, they track investment newsletters, do um, comparisons of the top investment newsletters uh, in Australia and look at their buy recommendations, track the performance of their recommendations and bring a little bit of much needed transparency to the investing newsletter uh, industry. Is that uh, Fairly accurate summation of what you're doing there, Simon? Yeah, that's spot on. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what it is and why you started it? Yeah, look, Cameron, I think um, being an investor myself and also a financial advisor, you know, what I found is there's plenty of choice out there with um, various newsletters, various styles. Some have been going for a long time. In fact, from what I can see, most of them have been going for a long time, which is probably a good sign. But there was no unified way to sort of check their results, no clear way to find it on each of their respective websites. You know, they all speak a bit of a different language, both in the way they approach investing, but also if and at all, if they re- report returns. So I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if there's some way we could, uh, as best we could, do an apples by apples comparison, so to speak. So we built this thing, started tracking uh, these services coming up on two years ago. You know, all being well, over time, you might expand it just depending on how things go. But we thought, you know, six or seven is a good start. Try to have a variety of different styles and investment approaches in there as well. And uh, what we did was sort of try to replicate what a, a typical, you know, investment journey might be for your standard sort of mum and dad, DIY, investor, self-directed, SMSF trustee, whatever you want to call it, by building a, a hypothetical or a, a paper portfolio of, of 12 stocks in each of the baskets. So one basket for each of those seven newsletters, basically. My big concern, Simon, is I don't think you really understand the financial services industry. Nobody wants clarity and transparency. The whole <laughs> idea of the financial service industry is to complicate it as no much as possible. No one wants to talk to me. Really... I was wondering why no one's picking the phone up. Let's make it on? really confusing so people just throw their hands up and go, oh, well, I'll just do this one. Yeah, yeah, you got it all wrong, Simon. What keeps me in a job, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. What do you hope to achieve with Ting? 
Look, I think um, it's really the idea is that it's a, a useful tool or a portal, you know, a, just a, a research channel that people can use to help them make better decisions, better informed decisions. I can't stress enough, it's, it shouldn't be solely used to, to make a decision. It should just be one of your toolkit of, of due diligence or, or research methods that you look at when you're shopping around for a newsletter or looking to add more newsletters or whatever it is. But ideally, that's what we want. I mean, in a way, you know, maybe it ends up being like a finder.com for investment newsletters, for example. So it's an evolving process. But yeah, at this stage, it's predominantly focusing on let's have some hypothetical baskets in there, see how they go periodically rebalance them, keep an eye on the, on the buy list, et cetera. And in a way, in the nicest possible way, hold these newsletters accountable to what they're saying that they're trying to do, which is obviously beat the market. And um, when do you start taking money from the newsletters to uh, you know, give them uh, an upper hand in the report? Would you like to be the first? Uh, absolutely, yeah. We'll... <laughs> is that an offer? <laughs> we'll sign up to that deal, get in, get in on the ground floor. <laughs> That's the way Google makes money, right? It's yeah. uh, putting it gently. They do very well. Yeah. And some of the other comparison sites and other industries as well, which we won't mention. Yeah, exactly. Can I just ask, uh, Simon, great idea. Thanks, Tony. I went to your website. There's, I think, seven or eight newsletters ranked there. The ones I had a look at, the only common thing I could find about them was they were the ones that don't publish their returns. They don't have a, what we call a dummy portfolio on their website. So is that why you've picked them or is there some other unique uh, commonality? Yeah, possibly. I mean, probably that'd be a secondary consideration. It wasn't an, ex- an explicit screening tool per se. I think it was more just let's pick a variety of different styles and hey, great, if they if they display results, fantastic. But to be honest with you, I didn't want to jump in down that rabbit hole with, you know, well, what is that chart? How do you work the numbers out? I'm like, you know what, I'll just do it myself and where we can try to be consistent with our approach. And uh, I'm going to encourage people to go to your website and have a look. But I had a look today, and I think out of the seven or eight that are there, there were two or three who were beating the market. So has that been the consistent sort of performance since you've started, or, or is this unusual? It's still early days with the data. So we didn't really start running any kind of cumulative league table, if you will, till late last year. These numbers are, generally speaking, going to run a quarterly we do monthly re- reviews and rebalances, but we'll publish results at the end of each quarter. And certainly as of today, those rankings are fairly, you know, the numbers have changed a bit because the market's come off, as, as you'd be aware, since mid-Feb, particularly after last Friday. But uh, broadly speaking, they're kind of still sitting in that category. I can screen share with you if you want me to put the table up. Let me just ask a couple of questions. So first of all, why do you think that uh, the majority of the investment newsletters, at least in the period you've tracked them, have underperformed the, the market? Because as you said, they've been around for a long time. I mean, it could partly be the season that we're in. So what I mean by that is, you know, you've been in the market a long time. Certain styles tend to come in and out of favor for potentially long periods, right? Value versus growth being a classic one that's often talked about in the press and all the empirical data and so on and so forth. So it could possibly be not a reflection that those ones that are underperforming the market are necessarily bad. It just might be the style that's in vogue at the moment that's overtaking the other styles in terms of performance. And look, to be honest with you, again, full disclosure, I think that we need more data, right? So the longer I'm running this thing, the better, the more support I get, the better, the more interest, because that'll just encourage us to keep going and hopefully fill it with more information and, and so forth. So 
it's really early days. It's kind of hard, you know, other than sort of my, my gut feel that I've just given you, it's kind of hard to give probably any more, you know, scientific analysis, if you will, I think. I was going to ask you, how, how long do you think you need before you've ridden through those cycles so all things being equal, the performance is accurate? Yeah, I mean, maybe not so much accurate is the right description because it's accurate now, but in terms of implying reflective conclusions, yeah, yeah from different styles, probably three or four years, I guess. I mean, what is it, very long-term and average stock market cycles, what, maybe 15 years, right, from boom to bust and boom again. Again, I stand to be corrected, but this is broad numbers. You know, most of my clients, if they've got direct equities, I say, look, you need to be in it for at least five, preferably seven, preferably longer. Not necessarily saying this won't be a value now. And I think what'll be interesting is over time, if we, you know, do like a game board approach. Have you heard of the game board? You know, Vanguard published the game board where every year they've got the six or seven major asset classes and they're color coded and each year they're kind of shifting around. So with obviously the top being in that year, the top code or asset class being the best performer and number seven or eight being the worst. And the point of the chart with, with Vanguard is to show that it's very hard to pick one asset class and consistently see it perform over time, i.e. at the top of the game board. So one idea we're working on is as we get more data sets for these newsletters is possibly have a game board. And again, that'd be a great way to figure out whether these guys are lucky or they're doing something consistently and repeatable. So time will tell, I think, on that front. And I think the the key is the game board doesn't just have the latest period. It also has since inception in there. History. Well. That's, the, that's right. Yeah, that's the real telling thing, I think, because as you say, every dog's going to have its day in the short term. It's the ones that are, have survived and are consistent. That's important. As my old boss used to say, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah. Simon, just with that, in terms of, you know, you said at the beginning that these newsletters, some of them have been around a long time, but your history on them with Ting only goes back two years. Is there any reason why you can't grab the last 10 years of their recommendations and throw those into a report? I think it'd be extremely labor-intensive if at all they were, you know, open to giving you that information. So theoretically, the answer would be yes, right? But you know, how many resources do we have? How many hours in the day? And this is assuming that all of these guys would open up their books and give us their recommendations 10 years ago. Why wouldn't they? Possibly, but yeah, possibly not. If, they're, if they've done a good job, just tell them to send you a spreadsheet. Nothing to hide, right? No, I mean, I mean, it's like if they say, oh, no, we don't want to do that, and you just put that on your website. We, we invited them to give us their recommendations for the last 10 years. They declined. Read into that what you will. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm not making friends in a hurry here, am I? <laughs> oh, no, you're our friend. That's <laughs> <laughs> all that counts, guys. I guess the other point to make is uh, just on that is that a lot of these newsletters also have a fund, and you can certainly look at the fund history. I've often found that the fund is radically different in its performance to the newsletter if they actually declare a performance in the newsletter. Good point. And again, you've got to, I guess, as a potential subscriber, you know, think about what acts these guys might have to grind, if any acts, you know. So are they producing in-house products? That's a great example, Tony, with uh, are they running funds? Are they launching ETFs? And how does that work with this business? And is it conflicted? And does all those kind of things as well. So there's a lot more work one can do as a researcher on this stuff. We're just kind of challenged by resources and time and what's going to be. But yeah, great suggestions, great insight. And case in point, Intelligent Investor, which is, you know, Alan Kohler, Eureka Report, they've been around a very long time, well-funded, well-backed. 
Alan Cole is an amazing commentator, but a terrible market timer. Ridiculous. And he's the first person to say that too. Luckily, he doesn't run the newsletter service for the, the <laughs> stock picking, as you probably know. But anyway, they've launched an international share fund like just uh, over the weekend, I think, and they're pushing that in their newsletters. And it's a free world, right? But the trick is to understand where's their edge? What is it? What's their business model? So again, it's about going in eyes open. And hopefully as a start, a tool like this can at least, at least help people fast track some of the information they might be looking for to make a decision. It is different every time. It's always different, Tony. It's never the same. <laughs> Sorry, that's my, uh, I have to put in an Alan Cole clip telling Tony that this time it's different every time we mention Alan Kohler. I'm contractually obliged to play that clip. Is it like a dollar jar or something? You put a dollar in the jar and <laughs> yeah. buy a round of drinks on Friday? We usually play it when um, someone says this time it's different. No. Bitcoin's going to go to the moon and GameStop's going to go to the moon. Oh, Interest rates are always going to be low. <laughs> yeah. From now on, Forever. It's, it's Forever. New, we had Alan on the show a few years ago and he was trying to tell Tony it's this time it's different. It was classic. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall. Just winding back the conversation on how you manage the website. So you said that you put together a dummy portfolio from each newsletter and then rebalance it. So that may or may not affect performance because the newsletter, a lot of these newsletters don't tell you how to actually invest. They just say, here's a recommendation. And it's up for you to decide how big your portfolio is and when you buy and sell. So why did you pick rebalancing and not just buy and hold or some other style of investing? There had to be some rules around it. And again, because they're all different in different language, we had to kind of come up with some kind of trigger or catalyst for a change based on their changes or their rating changes. So basically, for example, with Intelligent Investor, which is the more, you know, as you would know, more traditional style of newsletter, kind of like a stockbroker's report, fundamental analysis, an entry price, et cetera. And they have a buy list and they have a hold list, et cetera. So Obviously, because we're trying to replicate the journey of a typical investor, but not someone who's staring at a screen every day for every minute, we thought, well, we've got to draw a line in the sand and kind of come up with a, a balanced approach, not the right word, but a, you know, what's a suitable time frame to review the portfolio? So we thought at month end is a good time to do that. And so basically, in the case of Intelligent Investor portfolio, end of each month, if it's still there on the buy list, great, we'll keep it. If it's on the hold list, well, it's probably still got a good chance we'll keep it as well. So that's just the, the rule for, for that one. If it drops off, then we sell it and we buy the newest recommended buy on their fresh list, so to speak. So repeat that process consistently every single month. What's been interesting about Intelligent Investor is in terms of ranking of turnover, it's been one of the lowest of the universe that we analyze. And as you can see, the best performer as well. So whether there's a message in low turnover gets better results, like there's, a, there's another insight, you know, over time we might be able to, to garner as well. How do you invest, Simon? After looking at all these newsletters, do you follow on yourself or try and take the best of each or what? So I'd answer that two ways. I'll answer the second bit first. Another product that we're working on and you know, over time we might put something together is, is trying to build a, what we call a, a ting best of or a ting basket and maybe whatever system we develop to cherry pick the top one or two from each of the providers and then run that portfolio and see how we go. So that's something, again, in the development pipeline down the track potentially. But in terms of how I do personally, kind of my style, and it's not a recommendation, just answering your question, I'm pretty much a, a value type investor. You know, I have an accounting and finance degree. I worked on trading desk for 15 years, financial planner for coming up on 15 as well. So I just, the numbers for me work. That's just the way my brain works. But you've got to have 
good risk management, the right mindset, overcome those emotions when you're losing money. And, and that's the hardest part, right, with any of these systems really is sticking with it when you go through a tough period. But yeah, broadly speaking, that's what I'm attracted to, that style of approach. So obviously the Buffett style, and you guys talk a lot about that on your website as well, I've noticed. So I can't stress enough, that's what works for me. If you're not that kind of person and you subscribe to or investor and you subscribe to a value newsletter, it's going to be a disaster, right? Because you, you, you won't be able to stick with it. I mean, you hope that you do, right? But so again, another idea with this is, is to try to figure out, well, I kind of like the way that Stockopedia works. I'm, I'm a numbers guy and data sets really appeal to me. And I love to screen and cut and divide and cherry pick and have all these themes or an R and return on equity filter or whatever it might be. So that's great for that kind of mentality or thinking or analyzing process. But other people might be visual. So the snowflakes approach on Simply Wall Street, right, is a really quick, efficient way. If you're a visual person, then great, here's how I can build my portfolio. I don't want to spend half an hour reading about the latest toilet paper they've come up with that's going to make them an extra 1% margin, you know, because they're Amcor, whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? So we are blessed with an abundance of different styles of, of newsletters. I believe that your day job is looking after clients and giving them financial advice. Do you have a process where you try and take them through the newsletters or the different styles to work out what's going to work for them when you're talking with them? We don't actually. So this is more this is more developed for those that I'd say for every client that comes to see us, there's probably five or ten that try to do it themselves. And so we're trying to address that gap in that market and provide a resource for those clients. And as we've been saying, it's useful for me as well, right? Personal interest, my super fund, my investment strategy, et cetera. But for the most part, they're pretty much standalone businesses, if you will, at this point. Yeah. Well, my last question is probably following on from what Cam said. Have you had any of the newsletter proprietors contact you at all and try to explain <laughs> their results uh, in more detail? Not yet, but it's probably only a matter of time as <laughs> word gets out. Cool. I, I think I'm finished, Cam. Well, I was going to ask what kind of feedback you've had from the other newsletters. Have you reached out to them and said, hey, we're doing this? Do you want to help us? Do you want to get them, you know, want to give us access to your data or anything like that? Are you interacting with them or are you just doing it at arm's length? The obvious call would be intelligent investor, wouldn't it? The obvious call would be the two that are smashing it because I'm sure they want to get the word out. So that's where I would start if I was doing that. But at this stage, I haven't. You know, it sounds like, again, an obvious thing to do. You guys have got lots of great ideas. And it's really, it's resources at this point more than anything, just trying to juggle my mainline business and, you know, support this sort of research arm as well. So over time, we may do that. I actually literally approached Finder about this and they said it wasn't suitable for them, but podcasts and just uh, investor education channels, things like that, really, where there might be interest in in people using this tool. You've got to become a TikTok influencer. Influencer. Sounds like a disease. No, thanks. I mean, it's great what what you're doing. um, You're on the same wagon as we are, trying to de-jargon the industry and show some sunlight on it so people can do it themselves. It's great. Yeah, I mean, it's the investment field is very, is it democratized? Is that the right word? Everybody gets a vote, right? Anybody can open an account with a thousand bucks. And I mean, a lot of people shouldn't, but those that do, let's give them the best start they can, right? And as I was saying to Phil on Shares for Beginners a few weeks ago, I think not so much important selecting the right newsletter, but sticking with the strategy when you're having a rough patch, that's where you can really do the damage or hit the home runs, right? And 
And so it comes down a bit to the money management and the risk management. And I think that's where a lot of people fall over as individual investors. So this is only the starting point, right? Buying the stock's probably the easiest thing. It's the rebalancing, the taking profits, the cutting losses, position sizing, all that stuff. Even if you're not a day trader or doing this for a living as a professional, whatever you want to call it. So I think we as an industry have, there's still a lot of stuff we could do to help people figure that out. So really important. It's a good point. And in fact, that's probably an issue. I don't know if you, you want to highlight this, but it's a bit like the league tables that get presented now for fund managers. You don't want people to chase the top performing person on your list because they may not, they probably won't be the top performing person in the next period. They've just had their, their good run. That's right. Mean reversion, survivorship bias. Like again, there's, you know, the data set probably a lot better than me, but and that's why I think, you know, this is just one tool, right? If, if over time that it develops some insight that there is one or two of these services that has an edge and they can consistently repeat it, well, that'd be interesting and amazing. We'll see what happens, right? Only time will tell. But we know, you know, empirically and, and statistically that, that value over the very long term does outperform. But again, it's very long term, right? I mean, we've had a, up until, what, two, three years ago, as you would know, the traditional growth versus value growth has been smashing it because of the tech heavy, the tech overweight in that space. And that's obviously screened out from a lot of the value investors approaches and funds and so forth. So, so much of the information, again, you know, the devil's in the detail, right? And this is where I think the press have a lot to answer for, even more than our industry, is they just are absolutely atrocious at, at reporting the information in the right way. That gets people thinking in the right way and not panicking and, you know, fear and greed. It's just Okay, again, it gets back to what actually they have to grind. They want to get eyeballs on their website. They want people to panic or jump or react because that's how they get paid. So it's again, when you're doing your homework for a newsletter or a managed fund or an ETF, it's like, well, you know, what's their edge? How are they making their money off you? And if you know that, you can make better decisions. Yeah, well, according to the newspapers, we're going to be at war with China in three years' time. So this is all kind of irrelevant, really, isn't it? Oh, there goes a jet now, actually. I think they just <laughs> shot the first bomb. They're landing in Chatswood. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, our newsletter for QAV Lite, which we only started about a year ago, one of the reasons we did is uh, we were talking to one of our club members who said that um, he had some experience with the Motley Fool newsletter. And he was saying the problem with Motley Fool's newsletter is that they'll tell you what to buy, but they don't tell you when to sell it. And so people hold it and don't know when to let go of it. So, you know, one of the things we do with our light portfolios, we tell people when we're buying something for our portfolio and when we're selling it, why we're selling it. So they know it might be time to let it go. Is that common across the newsletters that you've looked at? You mentioned before that they have a buy list and a hold list and things just don't appear on the buy list anymore. Is that do they tell people when to sell stuff and why to sell stuff that's previously been on their buy list or do they just let people kind of work it out for themselves? I think broadly speaking, yes. It's a good question and really important one, right? Because it's that money management thing again and try not to blow yourself up. Broadly speaking, yes, but it's it's it varies so widely, Cameron, across the different newsletters. And in some cases, you they don't because it's not their role. So again, classic examples like a Stockopedia or a Simply Wall Street, right? It's it's just a number. It's up to you then to build your own risk management system, which is why obviously it's not for everybody to do that approach. But the more traditional ones that you've mentioned, in one way or another, they do, but it can be quite slow moving. 
compared to what I've read and what I think you guys do, it's like as long as the, as long as your clients or subscribers are watching the email and you're exiting and your rule number one's being activated, which I presume is, you know, never lose money, right, Warren Buffett, then, you know, that works quite well. But again, it's got to have the person that's watching their inbox, right? Otherwise, they're going to miss it. So broadly speaking, they all address it, but some much better than others. And some have hard stop losses, like Stocks Down Under, for example. They've got huge volatility in their returns, probably one of the broadest, right? So in other words, biggest losses and biggest gains with what we've seen so far. And they're not massively underperforming the market, but they have hard stops, right? And broadly speaking, they aim for a 20 to 40% upside, you know, 20% downside. And I think it's over, overly simplifying things sometimes, but at least they've got a policy, right? It's transparent. So if you go in there, you know, okay, great. And like you guys on your website, this is what we're targeting, twice the long-term return of the Aussie market, minimal downside, so on and so forth. So you might have multiple small losses in yours, like you flag, depending on what time you come into the portfolio. but then a five bagger or a ten bagger that makes up for it. So, yeah, again, it comes down to you know disclosure, education, doing your homework, and first and foremost, knowing what kind of investor you are, what resonates with you. Because if you can't follow orders and rip the bandaid off when you hit the stop loss, there's no point even having a stop loss, right? You've got to come up with another method as your as your risk management. Otherwise, we know it can happen. One of our common questions is, I miss my uh, my sell point. And it's now down 30%. What should I do? <laughs> Same answer as last time. Sell it. Yeah, yeah two weeks ago. <laughs> Where were you when we sent the newsletter? The other thing we see a lot with our club members, particularly new club members, is they'll come in and, you know, they'll know that the rule is to sell. Our rule one is if it drops 10% below your buy price to sell and redeploy your funds. But quite often we'll go, people go, ah, I don't think so. They'll go, I'm not going to, you know, they're going <laughs> to gonna do it their own way for a while. That usually lasts six or 12 months. And then they go, okay, <laughs> maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Maybe I should just uh, follow the rules. Like I say to my kids, you got to learn the hard way sometimes. Yeah, Sometimes. True. The pain of loss. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's, it's how we it's learn, a, right? It's how we grow. Investing university. That's right. Exactly. All right, so just that URL again for people, tinglive, T-I-N-G, live.com.au. What does it cost to subscribe to Ting Live, Simon? At this stage, it's complimentary. So we're just building it up, testing it. Yeah, the more support we get, the better. Over time, we might come up with some kind of revenue program or whatever. But at this stage, it's really just come along and have a look. The next run will be March end for updated results. So yeah, if you, you know people just jump on and subscribe to the to the reports and see how we go. Excellent. Well, really great idea. Maybe you should put the cost of the newsletter subscription along beside the results so you can get an ROI calculation as well. Mm. Again, it's in the Tony, I'll give you a call for some consulting work, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could afford you, but anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Cup of coffee. You'll you it's more than I'll get from Cam, that's for sure. So. Wow. Make it happen, huh? <laughs> But yeah, I have thought about that as well. So yeah, there's so many ways you can slice this information. So it's really about feedback, right? What a welcome any suggestions. And when you subscribe, there's just a you know short question in there, just asking people what they're looking for in a newsletter, because we want to make something that's of value to as many people as possible. Well, anything that brings more transparency to the investing world, I think is a good thing. So well done, Simon. Congratulations and best of luck with it. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. Yeah, my pleasure. Let's talk again soon. Thank you. 
QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.